This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Passage we'll take a look at today. We'll spend a couple of weeks here. This will be week one of two um, that we'll take a look at in this passage. But just to give you context, because again, when you read the Bible, you need to understand context. We get messed up when we take one verse out of the Bible and we isolate it from the rest of Scripture and just focus on that. And so if you just focus on the, the verse that we're looking at today, you're going to miss the context of it. Paul, as he writes to the uh, church at Philippi here in Philippians chapter 3, uh, he starts off chapter number 1 uh, saying, hey, you, you want to be on the lookout for fake Christians because there's people that aren't really, they call themselves Christians that aren't really living right. And says, hey, if you want to brag and boast, let's not do that. But if you wanted to, I have reason to brag and boast. Paul goes on to say, I got caught up in false religion for a a long time. And I thought I was good based on the things that I'd done. And he lists a long list of religious things that he had achieved in his life. And he says, I counted all those things as a loss that I might win Christ. I thought they were gain to me, but they actually weren't. They were a loss altogether. And so I counted those as loss that I can gain Christ. He says in verse number 13, I haven't made it yet. I, I haven't made perfection yet. I still got some work I need to do myself, but I continue to strive. I continue to push forward and pursue Christ likeness and try to be like Jesus. And so that's where we find ourselves today. And so again, we just got to re- understand the big picture of this. Uh, we're going to start in verse number uh, 12, and we're going to read through verse number 21 this morning. Philippians chapter 3, verse number 12. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. If that I may apprehend that for which I have also apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, and I haven't made it yet, I'm not perfect, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So verse 14, he says, that word press forth is a a runner that's running at an all-out sprint with every fiber of their being pushing forward to try to be like Jesus Christ. In verse 15, he says, let us therefore as many as be perfect. That word perfect doesn't mean without flaw. It means mature. So if there's any Christians that I'm writing to here at Philippi in this church, if you consider yourself mature, he says, be thus minded or think like that. You haven't made it yet, but you're going to continue to pursue after Christ. And if anything be other, if any in anything be otherwise minded, God shall reveal that unto you. Verse 16 through 21 is where we're going to spend our time today. Nevertheless, whereto we've already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. So again, if we call ourselves mature Christians, let's think about the same thing that we're doing. Verse 17, brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as you have for us an example. For many walk of whom I told you often, now I tell you even weeping that there are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation, the way that we live our life is in heaven, from whence we also look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom shall change our vile body that it might be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to, unto subdue it unto all things unto himself." Paul's writing here and challenging the church that they need to live in a Christ-like manner. You need to try to live your life to be like Jesus. 
It's important to understand from the get-go, from the very beginning before you start anything today, that you understand you do not have what it takes in and of yourself to live like Jesus, to live apart from sin, to live a victorious Christian life on your own. You need help. I need help. We don't have what it takes. And it's not a matter of trying to do better. It's not a matter of trying to get rid of my old habits or try to, to uh, modify my behavior to be a better version of myself. I need a total gut and restart. Uh, if I'm a house, I don't need to just put on a fresh coat of paint on my life. I need it to be bulldozed and the foundation pulled up and start from scratch. That's what the Bible says. Because we in ourselves are not inherently good. The Bible says we're inherently sinful. We're not born into this world as really good people who just need a little bit of a sprucing up or a little bit of polishing. We're born into this world as sinners. We've all sinned against God. I've sinned against God. You have. And it's not once or twice or that thing that we did when we were in high school or that one time in college we did something bad. We're sinners at the core. That's who we are. We can't stop sinning if we wanted to in our own power. And we need to understand that our sin creates a problem with God. Because God is righteous, because God is holy, because God is without sin, you and I cannot come to God with our sin because God is holy. Our sin actually repels God. Think of it as two magnets with opposite poles as you push them close to to one another. One of them separates from the other. God is like that when it comes to our sin because he can't be remotely close to our sin because he is spotless, perfect, and holy. And so try as you and I might to chase after God with our sin, God will always be, always be out of sight, out of touch. You can't come to him on your own because of your sin. The only way to make things right with God is to pay the price of your sin. Sin always has a price tag on it. You always must pay the cost of admission. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Because you sinned against God, somebody has to die. You deserve to die. I deserve to die. Not just a physical death on this earth, but the Bible says in the book of Revelation chapter 20, all whose names were not found written in the book of life were cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity, talking about hell. And it says, this is the second death. And so, you and I, because we've sinned against God, we deserve to go to hell. We deserve to be punished for our sin. And God says, that's the one way that you yourself could make this right. That's the worst news anybody could ever possibly hear. We owe God a debt. The only way to pay it is to die and go to hell. That will settle the score with God. But here's what God says. Romans chapter 5, verse number 8. But God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were sinners, get this, Christ died for us. You see, remember I told you when we sin, somebody has to die. So Jesus actually was willing to die in your place. I was supposed to die, Jesus died for my sins. I was supposed to be punished for my sins, but Jesus was punished instead. I was supposed to endure the consequences of my sin, but Jesus took those consequences upon himself. Jesus died for sinners. And if you're a sinner, and you are, Jesus died for you. But here's the really important part. Jesus' payment for your sin That death upon the cross that paid for your sins is only good if you apply it to your account. If you're willing to receive the gift that's given to you, you might say, hey, I think I'm good. I'll work it out with God whenever I get to heaven. 
You're welcome to do that, but it will not end well. I guarantee you that. The Bible's already told us how it, how it goes. If your name's not written in the book of life, you're going to spend eternity separated from God in hell, period. And here's the thing. No church in the world, no religious works in the world, no baptism in the world can wash away your sins and put your name in that book. Nobody other than Jesus. This church couldn't get you to heaven if we wanted to. I couldn't save you if I tried my hardest. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And the only hope that you and I have for eternity in heaven with God is through Jesus Christ himself. Jesus says it this way in John chapter 3, verse number 3, no man shall enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. You need to have a time, a date, a place where you accepted Christ as Savior, where you repented of your sin. I realize that I've sinned against God. I realize that I deserve to go to hell. I believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, and I receive him as my Savior. That's the only way that you can be saved. That's the only way that you can be born again. That's the only hope that you have for heaven. And if you've never had a time, a day, a place in your life where you've been born again, where you've been saved, today's your opportunity. Don't leave here today without knowing for sure your sins are forgiven. Sometimes people say, well, can you really know for sure that your sins are forgiven? Can you really know that you're going to heaven? 1 John 5, 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life, even to them that believe on his name. If your faith is in Jesus Christ, if he saved you from your sin, and he is your Lord and Savior, friend, you can have 100% assurance that heaven is your home. But here's a beautiful thing that takes place when you're saved, when you're born again. The Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you now. And God is always with you in the form of the Holy Spirit inside of you. That now you have something inside of you that has the capability to change your life. Now it's not a matter of I need to stop doing bad stuff. Now it's a matter of the Spirit of God lives inside of me and gives me the power to turn away from sin and turn to Jesus. I didn't have that power before I was saved. And so the only hope that we have for lasting change, the only hope that we have in our life for being like Jesus Christ is the Holy Spirit of God at work inside of me, working through me, changing me from the inside out. I can change the outside really easily. I can get a fresh haircut. I can get a shave. I can get some nice clothes. I can go to the Christian bookstore and buy the biggest Bible that they have and tuck it underneath my arm. I can come into church and say, Good morning, praise the Lord. Good morning, hallelujah. Good morning, I'm thankful to be in church. How about you? We can fix all of that. You can do that in, in 60, 60 minutes. Real life change takes place on the inside first. Then after change on the inside happens, then it comes out. That's what Christ-likeness is. It's an inside change that has outside ramifications. And when the Spirit of God changes your life, you'll never be the same again. You won't be perfect, but you'll be more like Jesus Christ. And as you walk with Jesus day by day throughout the rest of your life, you go through this process that we refer to as sanctification where you become more like Christ day after day after day. Now, it's a hard process for sure, but the good news is you're not alone. And one of the ways that we follow Jesus, one of the ways that we walk in Christ's likeness is we follow the example of Jesus Christ We'll follow the example of other Christians in the Bible. But God's also given you people in this church where you're seated at this morning that are examples that you can follow to be more like Jesus Christ. 
from the very beginning, and we need to understand that we first and foremost, we follow Jesus, period, end of story. But we can also follow the example of others. But if you ever get to a crossroads where you're not really sure which way to go, you can never go wrong following Jesus. And so we follow the example that Jesus Christ has given us in Scripture. We follow Christ in every area of our life where he asks us to submit. We submit to his lordship. The word lordship means that he's the master. He's the boss. He calls the shots. I am the slave. I have no rights in and of myself because Jesus Christ is Lord and master. Whatever he tells me to do, I do it. Simple as that. And so we follow his example. And Jesus says, if any man will come after me, he needs to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Jesus is looking for committed followers. It's interesting to note that Jesus never called for people to show up to church once a week. He's not looking for church attenders, per se. It's interesting to of note as well is that Jesus Christ isn't looking for people to sing songs to him as if he needs to be entertained. Jesus isn't looking for people who would be casual hangers-on. Jesus is looking for committed followers of him. And so you and I need to understand that our life is not about being religious or going to church. Our life is about following Jesus, not just on Sunday, but every other day of the week as well. But here's the good news about following Jesus is we're not by ourselves. Jesus has actually given us others who will help us to follow him. I grew up in church my whole life. Uh, the first uh, 18 years of my life, uh, we grew up in two different churches. Uh, when I was in you know, about fifth grade, we had some, some drama that took place in the church that we were at. We left that church and went to a different church, and I, I finished out my high school years at that church. And I became, at about 15, 16 years old, became very disillusioned with church. Because what I saw was I saw the Bible calling us to this standard but I saw everybody else living by a different set of rules and I couldn't reconcile the two of those because they seemed at odds with each other. I knew the Bible called us to be holy. I knew the Bible called us to be righteous. But our youth pastor would drop us off at the uh, movie theaters for a, quote, youth activity. And all the guys would go watch an R-rated shoot em up flick. And we'd get back in the van afterwards and the youth pastor would say, how was the movie? We'd say, oh, it was great. We saw, you know, Commando or we had to go see Terminator 2, you know, get to the chopper. Uh, I mean, like, and he was like, oh, man, tell me about it. I was going to go see that next weekend. We talked about R-rated movies that we watched. Kids in the back of the van would be using foul language. He'd be like, hey, guys, keep it down. Not a matter of like, hey, Christians don't act like that. Hey, pull the van over on the side of the road and get you off the bus and say, hey, if I ever hear that come out of your mouth again, I'll wash your mouth out with soap. None of that talk. Just, hey, guys, keep it down back there. We would regularly have people make it out on our uh, you know, youth activities and things like that. And I saw a disconnect from what the Bible calls us to and the way that people actually live. And as a 15, 16-year-old kid, I'm scratching my head and going, these two things just don't jive. Before church, by the, uh, the back door of, of our church would be an area on Sunday mornings where the deacons would stand and smoke cigarettes and talk before the service started. And while they're standing back there smoking cigarettes, every car that pulls in the parking lot, they'd be like, oh, man, there's Joe and his wife. Uh, Do you hear what happened with Joe this past week at work? And it became a gossip session amongst the deacons back there while they smoked cigarettes before the church service started. And then they would hear the piano start playing, and they put out their cigarettes, and then they walk in church and start singing songs. And I'm thinking to myself, something just doesn't fit here. And I became very disillusioned. 
our pastor would sometimes come by my dad's shop. My dad owned a body shop, and if you ever worked around cars or guys that do manual labor or, or stuff like that, it's usually a pretty rough crowd, and my dad's uh, shop was no different. A bunch of unsaved guys my dad was trying to love and, and show them the love of Jesus to and stuff like that, and our pastor would come by, and he'd stand out with the guys in the parking lot, and he'd tell dirty jokes. He'd curse. He'd tell racist jokes, and they're all laughing and yucking it up out there. And I remember as a, like a 16-year-old kid going, this is, this is all just to put on. Like, why do we even bother going to church? Because it's just a bunch of fake stuff. If the Bible's true, then why aren't we living like it? And I became very disillusioned with church. And I came to this conclusion. I love God. I believe the Bible. But I have no use whatsoever for church. Have you ever heard somebody say something like that? Well, I love God. I just don't love organized religion. And that sounds on the surface like a really spiritual place to be. But statements like that are always a mark either of damage or spiritual immaturity. In my case, it was both. Because I'd seen such a poor example of what Christian living looked like. Because I'd seen deplorable examples of what Christian leadership looked like. I had come to the conclusion that the church itself was a failure. But that wasn't the case at all. It would take me probably another six or seven years to get into a good Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church to see, hey, there's people that really live what the Bible says. There's Christians who really act like it. And the Christian life can be real. There can be people who really believe the Bible and want to live like it. That's a positive thing. And so Paul, as he writes here in verse number 17, he says this, Brethren, be followers together of me. And mark people in the church that are examples and follow their examples too. And so Paul tells us here, first of all, you need to understand this from the get-go. You need the church. The church is not an optional add-on to Christianity. It's not for all the people who really just want to take their Christian walk to the next level. It is for all Christians to be a part of. And I'll go so far as to say this, and you might get mad at me, but you just get mad at the Bible. If you call yourself a Christian and are not part of a local New Testament church community, you are in disobedience to the Bible. Jesus didn't create, Jesus didn't create the church, give his life for the church for you to figure out whether or not you actually want to be a part of it or not. It doesn't work that way. As a Christian, you're commanded to be a part of it. And inside the church is all of the tools that you need to be able to flourish and grow as a Christian. You might say, well, pastor, I've only been walking with Jesus for a couple of months. Good. There's a guy in our church who's been walking with Jesus for six months. Be a friend to him, and you guys can walk the path together. Hey, hang out with this guy over here who's been saved for decades and been walking with Jesus for decades. He's going to be a great example for you to follow. Hey, follow the example of your pastor. Hey, follow the example of uh, some of the deacons in our church. Follow the example of some of the small group leaders in our church. Follow the example of some of the godly women in our church because you don't have to do it alone. And God has created his church to give us an environment to be able to see with our own eyeballs what it looks like when other people walk with Jesus. And so when we identify these other people, take a look at verse number 17 again. Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which so walk as you have us for an example. First of all, we follow their example. We need to identify people that are godly Christians in our church that we see live in the Christian walk that we see living out their faith in a real tangible way, and you need to follow their example. I I get frustrated sometimes when I hear guys make excuses of like, well, I can't walk with Jesus because I'm in the military. What does that mean? 
well, you know, there's certain things that I have to do because I'm in the military and I really can't be a solid Christian because of that. You don't have to do anything that would violate your faith. You just choose not to because it's difficult. I'll give you that, that it's hard. But the guy who works at Bank of Hawaii, it's hard for him to be a Christian. The guy that works at Long's, it's hard for him to be a Christian. You know, the gal that works at office work, it's hard for her to be a Christian. The, the mom stays home with kids, it's hard for her to be a Christian. It's not easy for anybody. And so we can't make excuses, we need to find examples. Ooh, that, that could be like tweet worthy. Don't look, for exam- don't look for excuses, look for examples. That's good. I'm not on Twitter, but I should be with quotes like that, right? That one just kind of came to me. That was good. But here's the thing. God's told us, find people who set a good example and follow their examples that they have. Again, verse number 17, brethren, be followers together of me. Here's what Paul says, follow my example. And Paul tells the church at Corinth in a separate passage, a separate letter that he writes, hey guys, follow me as I follow Christ. And Paul's not looking to create his own tribe or his own following or his own, his own platform that people can follow the brand of Paul. He's saying, follow me as I follow Jesus Christ. If, you read, if you've read 1 Corinthians, you'll find in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul actually repudiates status-seeking. The church at Corinth had become very divisive because Paul had started the church at Corinth and then he moved on and a man by the name of Apollos had pastored that. And then there was the apostle Peter who had pastored in another church as well and Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. And in this church at Corinth, some people says, hey, you can follow the new pastor, Apollos, if you want to, but I remember Paul back in the day. I'm, I'm a follower of Paul. Other people are like, Paul, Paul left, bro. I'm, I'm following Apollos. And some people are like, oh, that's really cute that you follow these two guys. I remember Peter back in the day before there ever was a Paul. Yeah, I'm following Peter from way back in the day. And some people are like, you're following men. I follow Christ alone. And there became division in the church. And Paul says, guys, stop. We're all following Jesus. Follow the example of godly men, but don't put them on a platform. Don't put them in a special category. Don't give them any status. We just follow the example that they have for us. Not only do we seek, do we seek to follow their example, we also seek godly wisdom from people as well. I love to spend time with solid Christian men because it helps me. I ask a lot of questions because I realize I don't know everything. I read a book this past week on uh, dealing with anger. I don't consider myself an angry person, but as I read that book and I re- read through scripture, I realized I got some things I need to work on. You know why I read a book on anger? Because I don't have all the answers yet. Because I'm not an expert in every area of my life. There's some things I need to work on. I want to spend time with guys who have walked with Jesus for a while and pick their brain. My daughter, Makili, we have, I have two boys and two girls. My daughter, Makili's 12. I've never had a preteen girl before, ever. <laughs> Let me just tell you, it's a whole different ball of wax. It just, it really is. And you know what I found? I need some wisdom. I need to spend time with some other guys. I need to, to, to gather. I need to pick their brain. Hey, talk to me about raising girls. What's, what's, what's different about girls? What do I need to know? What do I need to be aware of? That helps me. I need godly wisdom in my life. On Saturday mornings, we have a men's group that meets. Every, every four weeks, there's a different group that meets. Uh, and so every, every Saturday morning, we have somebody that meets here on, at 8 o'clock on Saturday mornings. And guys, if you're not part of a, a men's group that meets on Saturdays, show up this Saturday, 8 o'clock, you can jump into any group. But basically, that group will meet every four weeks, but every, we have four different groups that meet. And so 
because guys need to get godly wisdom from other guys. And it's funny, sometimes ladies are like, well, why don't you have as many things for ladies as you do with guys? Because here's the thing. Ladies will automatically find their groups. We don't have to assign them. Guys don't go looking for groups. Guys are like, I got this. You know? Like, can you imagine me calling Larry Gregory and saying, hey, Larry, what are you doing this afternoon? He's like, oh, nothing. I'm getting off work about 3 o'clock or so. Hey, you want to come down to Alamona Beach Park? Me and you can walk around the park and just uh, maybe grab boba tea afterwards? He'd be like, say what? <laughs> yeah, I just thought we'd go for a walk. Huh? Like, guys don't do stuff like that. But just about every single week of the world, somebody was like, oh, we took our kids to Alamona Beach Park, and we just walked the park and got boba tea afterwards. And that's normal for girls, right? Normal for ladies. They just automatically gravitate towards that, you know? Hey, Larry, you want to take the girls to the park this afternoon? Like, we don't talk about stuff like that. But here's the thing me and Larry do. Hey, Larry, you want to grab coffee? We should get together and catch up, see how things are. We talk about life. We talk about our kids. We talk about our marriage. We talk about our family. You know why? Because I need godly wisdom in my life, but here's the thing. I have to purposely go for it. And that's why we try to create structures in our church for building men because men don't gravitate towards relationships. We gravitate towards isolation. Hey, I've got this. I don't need anybody. I'm tough enough. I'm strong enough. If not, I'll just knuckle up and get through it. But God doesn't want us to live that way. God wants us to have godly examples and godly wisdom to, to glean from. Proverbs chapter 11, verse number 14 says, where there's no counsel is the people fall, but the multitude of counselors there is safety. We're going through the book of James on Sunday nights, and uh, next week, I believe it is, we're getting to the passage that says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not. It's a great promise from the word of God. But I thought to myself, hey, I'm going to dig in and see what the Bible has to say about wisdom, right? <laughs> I spent, no lie, probably 12 hours or so, and I got maybe 5% out of what the Bible says about wisdom. You know why? Because wisdom, Solomon says, is the most important thing. Get wisdom. And so, like, I just scratched the surface in wisdom or what the Bible has to say because it's so rich. And so God places a high importance on wisdom. And we'll take a look at this when we get to it in the book of James on Sunday nights. But where do we get wisdom? We get wisdom from the Word of God, from the Spirit of God, and from the people of God. And, and man, I need to spend time with godly men who can share godly wisdom with me because I need that in my life. Next, when we think about the examples that other people set, we need to make sure that we encourage them by making good on their investment. I had a text message this morning from Pete Madsen. Pete and Aaron Madsen came to Huicala. Our church was probably five weeks, maybe six weeks old when Pete and Aaron came to our church. And I tell you this, Huicala is here today. You're sitting in the seat that you're sitting in because of, of Larry and Buffy Gregory, Pete and Aaron Matson, and Tim and Andrea Paybody. They were three families from the, from the very beginning were 100% sold out to Huicala and, and dozens of families after them is the reason why you're here. But, but Pete and Aaron were special. Pete worked a weird shift where he would get off work at, at 10, 11 o'clock sometimes and, and Pete and I would go in a, over, there's a coffee shop across the street. We'd sit up over there midnight and drink coffee till three, four o'clock in the morning and just talk about life. Pete had some, some maturing that he wanted to go through and some areas that he needed to grow in his, his life and his Christian walk and his marriage and, and was seeking a lot of wisdom from God in that. And man, I just spent a lot of time with, with me and Pete just having coffee and talking about life and the Bible and things like that. I got a text message this morning from, from Pete and he said, checking in from Huicala East Coast. And there's a picture of Pete and Dave Harbizuk in church together. 
And I thought to myself, like the Harvey Hicks just left last Sunday, and they're in church this Sunday morning with Pete Madsen. Like, how cool is that? And I thought to myself, man, here's a couple of guys that, that I poured some stuff in my life into and made a good investment with it. And I got an email from Pete this past week and said, our son Cyrus, who's four years old, is asking a lot of questions about salvation. How do I navigate through this? And I thought to myself, oh, man. And so I sent a big, huge, long email about how to guide his child towards salvation and, and things to look out for and things to be aware of and things like that. And I thought to myself, hey, here's a guy that I poured into eight years ago almost who now is still making good on the investment that I made in his life. And by the grace of God, when his son Cyrus accepts Christ as Savior, that's stuff that I poured into Pete eight years ago that's now going to carry Cyrus through the rest of his life. That's the good stuff. And so I want to make my life an example that other people can follow. I want to take the investment that people have made in my life and make good on their investment. My parents took me to church every single time the doors were open, even when I hated it and when I was mad about it. But I'm thankful for their investment, and I never stop thanking my parents for keeping me in church. It's an investment that they made that's paid dividends in my life and it's paid dividends in your life. I'm continually grateful to the couple that discipled Angela and I, Pat and Jane Smith, and I often send them emails say, hey, thanks for your investment of the gospel and God's word in our life. It's paying dividends forward. I want to make good on the investment that they made in my life. My pastor in California, Pastor Paul Chapel, invested God's word in my life. I want to make good on that investment. I was sitting reading my Bible a couple of weeks ago. I was reading through the book of Acts as part of my devotional reading. I got to Acts chapter 20, and I'm reading through that. I was like, oh, this is so good. I remember when Pastor Chapel, my pastor in California, preached from the book of Acts on a Sunday night in 2003. And after I finished my devotional reading, I grabbed my phone, and I texted my pastor, and I said, thanks for investing the word of God in my life Almost two decades later, it's still bringing forth fruit. And you know what? I want that to be an encouragement because somebody set an example for me to follow and I followed the example and it brought good fruit in my life. I want you to think about people who've invested God's word in your life and I want you to be grateful to them. Maybe you should reach out to somebody this week and say, hey, thanks for loving me and pointing me towards truth. Hey, thanks for inviting me to church. Hey, thanks for sharing the gospel with me. Hey, thanks for leading me to Christ. Because somebody somewhere set an example for you to follow. And so we encourage them by making good on the investment that they made. Now, again, when people say things like, well, I don't need to follow man, I'm just going to follow Jesus instead, it's a little bit short-sighted. And again, while that might sound mature on the surface, I only need to follow Jesus, it's not biblical. Because following a mature but imperfect Christian shows us how to handle the struggles of life. Finding someone that you can identify and say, hey, this person's a Christian, they're not perfect, but I can follow their example. That's what God intends for us. And so what I'm getting ready to say, I know is going to sound on the, the surface, it's going to sound heretical, maybe even blasphemous to say this, but I want you to stick with me for just a minute because it's true. While Jesus is a perfect example of how to walk the Christian life and to live by faith and live Christ-likeness, Jesus Christ cannot show us how to recover after sin. Jesus never sinned. Jesus never had to come back from poor decisions that he had made because he never once ever made a poor decision. But you know who can show us how to recover after sin? Paul. Paul says, hey, if you're making a list of sinners in the world, I'm the worst of all sinners. I am chief, he said. Hey, if anybody's blown it, it's this guy right here. 
But Paul showed us that our failure isn't final. Paul showed us that there is hope after the terrible decisions and failures of our life. He's shown us that we can really recover after sin, and that was something that Jesus himself could not show. Jesus is a perfect, perfect example, but he can't show us how to restore the things that we've broken. Jesus never messed anything up. He never broke anything. He never had to come back from that. Now, Jesus is an example to us of how to forgive, how to extend mercy, how to extend grace, how to be compassionate when you've been offended. But Jesus was never the offender. Jesus never did anything wrong. And so Jesus can't provide an example for us of how to restore the things that we've broken. Jesus is a perfect example, but he can't show us how to repent and begin reconciliation. Who can? Paul. If you read through the book of Acts, there was a certain time where Paul and Barnabas were traveling together, and they had with them a young man by the name of John Mark. There came a point where Paul's just like, hey, John Mark is dead weight. We just need to cut him and move on because he's not helpful to what we're doing. And Barnabas really took up for John Mark, and he says, absolutely not. We're not going to leave him behind. And the contention between Paul and Barnabas was so sharp that Paul says, fine, take him, but I'm not going with you. And the Bible says they parted ways. And so Paul says, John Mark is such dead weight to me that I would rather be without him and be without you than to have him on the journey with us. But here's what we find later in Paul's writings. Paul says, hey, when you come to visit, could you bring John Mark with you because he's profitable to me for the ministry. Something happened somewhere along the way and we don't get to read the details of exactly what happened. But there was a broken, messed up relationship and somewhere along the way it got restored. And Paul was humble enough to say, hey, what happened before isn't the way things are going to be going forward. And so the Bible doesn't tell us whether John Mark was, was a deadbeat and he finally got his act together. The Bible doesn't tell us if Paul was too harsh on John Mark and decided later to be more compassionate and, and forgiving and merciful. It doesn't tell us. It just tells us that Paul had a relationship that was messed up and he made a commitment to restore it. And that required a lot of humility. Jesus never broke any relationships, so he never had to restore anything. But Paul was an example for us to follow. Jesus is a perfect example, but he can't show us how to pursue Christ's likeness in sinful flesh. You know who could in the Bible? Peter. Peter was a guy who says, oh, Lord, everybody might desert you, but not me, not this guy. I'll stick with you till the end. And Jesus is like, Peter, please save it. You're going to deny me three times before the cock crows tomorrow morning. Seriously. Peter's like, absolutely not. And what did Peter do? He denied Christ. And when Christ is resurrected, where does he find Peter. Oh, at the, the temple worshiping, does he find him with his nose in the Bible? No, he finds him out fishing, going back to his old life, doing what he did before. And he said, hey guys, come over. Jesus made breakfast for everybody. I sat everybody down. He said, Peter, do you love me? He goes, Lord, you know I love you. Hey, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Lord asked him a third time. The Bible says that Peter was grieved because the Lord asked him a third time if he loved him. I don't know, but some people surmise that Jesus asked him three times if he loved him because he denied him three times. I don't know. But here's what I do know. Peter had the opportunity at restoration. Jesus didn't need to be restored. He was perfect and he always was. But Peter had blown it. So what happened with Peter? 
Jesus says, okay, Peter, I'm not done with you yet. There's going to be somebody who's going to preach on the day of Pentecost, who's going to share the gospel in a gathered assembly like never before. And when that person preaches, thousands of people will come to faith in Christ. They'll be saved. They'll be baptized. They'll start the first church in the history of the world. And who's going to be the guy that brings the word that day? It'll be Peter. (laughs) So you want to talk about somebody who is an example to follow? Peter. You might have blown it. Guess what? Peter did too. Move on. Hey, you might have fallen back in your faith. Peter did too. Move on. He's an example of Christ-likeness for you and I to follow. We could look around this church and see people who've blown it. They decided to pick it up, make things right with God, and move on. That's an example to follow. I mean, people in our church that have struggled with pornography, but they've gotten victory over it and they moved forward. That's an example to follow. There mean, people who have, have had adultery rock their marriage. They picked up the pieces and they moved on. That's an example to follow. There's people who have wavered in their commitment to Christ. They're hot one day and cold the next, but then they decided to be fully hot for Christ. That's an example to follow. It's an example that Jesus couldn't provide, but he's given us other people who provide that example for us. And so, for you and I, verse number 17, brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as you have an example, have us for an example. You see, we have to follow those who live out biblical Christianity, not just somebody who claims to be a Christian. (laughs) It's so, it's not funny, it's interesting to me that when we're trying to get what we want out of life, we put the bar really low on what it means to be a Christian. You know, I'll ask a guy, hey, this girl that you're interested in dating, is she a Christian? I don't know, I saw her with a... uh, cross on her t-shirt I think she might be a Christian oh hey this guy that you're dating is he a Christian well he had a a Bible verse one time in his profile on Instagram I think he might be a Christian it's like what What does that even mean and so when Paul says in verse number 17 to mark those that word mark means to fix your gaze upon and stare It's not a matter of like, oh, I think they might be a Christian. I I think I got into their car the other day and they're playing positive and encouraging music. I think they might be a Christian. I don't think I've ever heard the guy use the F word before. I think he's probably a Christian. Like, wait, 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 wait. That's not talking about that. And even people who say that they're a Christian or have a cross on their necklace or say that they go to church, we need, before we decide to follow that person, to figure out, is this a life worth following or not? That's what that word mark, to fix your gaze upon. I need to watch and figure out whether or not this person is really a Christian and whether or not I don't want to follow them. And that's why people get sucked into following garbage YouTube preachers. I'm not even going to give them the distinction of calling them a pastor. Garbage YouTube preaching because they don't take time to fix their gaze upon and mark them whether or not they're of the faith or not. They don't look, is this person biblically solid? Do they follow the Bible? Does this person adhere to good biblical doctrine? Is this person living a life that reflects Christ? Is there good spiritual fruit in this life? And here's the thing. When it says, verse number 17, brethren, be followers together of me and mark them walk walk," so you have them for an example, he's not talking about following people on social media and YouTube and on the internet. It's not what he's talking about. He's writing to a church And he says, guys, you have me for an example, but I want you to find other people in the church and follow their example. 
It's not your job to, to follow somebody on Instagram and follow their example. Instagram is fake. You only see the good stuff on Instagram. Your goal is not to find somebody and follow them on YouTube or on Facebook or on the internet or Twitter. Like that's not what he's talking about. We're talking about finding people to follow. It means some dude that's sitting in your section on a Sunday morning that loves his wife, loves his kids, and loves Jesus. It's about a woman of God that's sitting near you this morning that's been pouring over Scripture and has been on her knees in prayer this week. That's what it's talking about. Find those people and follow them. Not somebody who has 10,000 followers on some social media platform. That's not following. And again, if you get your theology from YouTube and YouTube preachers, you're so off base. There's a guy who was, had sent me a bunch of emails, was really critical of some things in our church, who was completely and totally baseless and accused me of preaching a false gospel. And I said, hey, send me the name of your pastor because I want to make sure that you get good discipleship and you realize where you're wrong. And he said, well, I don't really attend a church right now. I just, I, I'm part of a lot of churches on YouTube. <laughs> no, you're not. You watch a bunch of videos, but you're not part of a church. You have no pastor. You have no uh, spiritual authority. You have no accountability structure. And you obviously have no discipleship or biblical understanding. And you want to send me emails trying to correct me? No. The whole part, again, this is why I'm telling you, you cannot be a Christian who follows Jesus and not be part of a, a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church community. It doesn't work that way. Because you can't follow the command to find godly people and follow their example. It requires proximity to follow somebody. You can't follow somebody from afar. These are people that you need to see in your small group on Wednesday nights, on Tuesday nights, on Friday nights. These are people you need to go grab coffee with during the week from your local church and say, hey, tell me about your walk with Christ. Hey, tell me about how you got saved. Hey, tell me about what you, something good you got from the Bible this past week. Hey, what does following Jesus look like in your life? Help me with that. Hey, I want to raise my kids to live for Jesus. How do I do that? We had our uh, uh, single adults conference this past uh, weekend. It was awesome. Friday night, Saturday morning. It was a great time together. Uh, I had an opportunity to answer some questions that people had uh, at a Q&A time. And some of the questions like, hey, you know, what are you passionate about? You know, hey, how do you train your family to follow Jesus? You know, how do you prepare yourself for marriage? Things along, along those lines. Because they wanted wisdom, and I appreciated that. But one of the things that I did from the very beginning and before I had ever helped Brian and Anya plan out anything for this entire conference, I said, there's two people that I want you to have speak. And there are two godly Christian people in our church that are single adults that have been walking with Jesus not for a couple of weeks or a couple of months, but a couple of decades. They're singles that love Jesus Christ. They don't find their identity in their marital status. They find their identity in Christ. And they're content with where God has them. You need to hear from these people. You know why? Because it says find people who are godly examples and follow their example. And so again, we have to examine these lives. It requires a continual examination of the lives of people that we follow. It's not just a one-time determination, hey, this person's good to follow. It's a continual examination. The Bible tells us to look out for fruit. The Bible tells us that a good tree doesn't bring forth corrupt fruit, and a corrupt, tr fruit doesn't bring forth, a corrupt tree doesn't bring forth good fruit. And again, it's not my job to look at people's lives and determine whether or not they're saved. That's a major pet peeve of mine. 
oh, I heard so-and-so say something unkind the other day. They're probably not a Christian. <laughs> Stop it. Oh, so-and-so, you know, they haven't been in church in six months. They're probably not a Christian. Stop it. It's not our place to determine whether or not somebody's a Christian. But here's the thing. You can examine fruit and figure out whether or not this is a life you want to follow. You got some guy who claims to be a Christian, but he's foul-mouthed, rude to his wife, disconnected from his children, a lazy sluggard at work. You can look at that life and say, he might be a follower of Jesus, but I ain't following that. He might call himself a Christian, but man, that's not what I'm trying to get out of life. And that's why I challenge you to surround yourself with godly examples and continue to follow the example that these godly examples set. And here's the thing, a healthy church should be full of godly examples for you to follow. Look, I'm not saying, hey, I am the only example for you to follow. I'm gonna show you how to follow Christ, just follow my example. There are dozens of people in our church that are following Jesus that are a solid example for you to follow you will not want to miss next Sunday night. And I'm not, I'm not the type of person that makes sensationalist claims like, you better be here because this is going to change your life. This is going to be special. I mean this. We've never done anything like this in the history of our church. But next Sunday night, July 4th, we're going through the book of James where we're talking about trials and how trials work endurance in our lives and how God brings good fruit from trials. Next Sunday night, I'm going to have five people share their story of trials that they've gone through and how God's brought them out better as a result of it. I mean, talk, talk about people who've, who've lost a family member, people who've lost children, people who have received cancer diagnosis, people who have walked away from their faith and found themselves in a heap of trouble and come back to Jesus. Like, I'm telling you this, I haven't given them any guidelines like, hey, say this, say this, say this. Hey, tell your story of how God took you through trials and how God brought you better on the other side of it. And like, seriously, it's gonna knock your socks off. You won't wanna miss it. Why am I doing that? Because I wanna show you that these are godly examples you can follow. Because we get frustrated when things don't go our way and we go, oh, nobody has it as hard as I do. No, everybody has it hard. Well, nobody struggles with this as much as I do. No, everybody struggles with it. There's not a person in this room who would stand up and say, hey, the Christian life is really easy for me. I've never had any problems. It's kind of just like second nature. It's like I don't even have to think about it. Not one person in this room would say that that's been walking with Jesus for more than seven days. Right? We would all say, it's hard. There's struggles. There's challenges. I fail. Sometimes I feel like more of a failure than I do a success. But God is always faithful. He's always good, and I need to hear that from other people because I need to be encouraged to that degree. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, let no man despise thy youth, but be an example of the believers in word and conversation and charity and spirit and faith and purity. Paul tells Timothy, who's a younger believer, he calls him his son in the faith. This kind of gives me the idea that maybe Timothy hasn't been saved a long time and he's a younger guy. But here's what Paul says, don't let anybody despise your youth, but be an example. You know what's interesting is the people in our, our church many times that are the quality examples aren't the people who have maybe been walking with Jesus for 30, 40, 50 years. It's the people who maybe have been walking with Jesus for five years but are really 100% sold out to it. People who have been walking with Jesus for less than 10 years but it has become their life. Those are the examples to follow. It's not that we, we need these folks that are in their 60s plus that we're gonna sit on a platform that these are the only wise people in our church. Wisdom isn't found from age. Wisdom is found from obedience. 
and consistency. That's where the good stuff is found. And I can point you to dozens of people in our church. That's one of the reasons why we place such a high importance on discipleship. Because discipleship is all about teaching you to follow Jesus. And we partner you up with somebody else who is also following Jesus. And says, hey, follow me. I'll show you how this is done. And so a healthy church should be full of examples. But here's the thing. Getting ready to turn the corner on you right here, all right? If you have been a part of this church for, say, six months or more, if you call yourself a Christian, guess what? It's time for you to start being the example. Do you need people to follow? Yes. I still have examples in my life that I look to, that I want to be like. There's people in our church that I want what they have. I want to be more like Christ in the way that they're more like Christ in a way that I'm not. But at some point, you got to put on your big boy pants and your big girl pants and say, hey, I'm not perfect, but I'm willing to be an example. That's what Paul says in verse number 13. He says, brethren, I haven't apprehended. I haven't made it, but this one thing I do, I'm pressing forward to be like Jesus every single day. I'm pushing as hard as I can, and I want you to follow my example. Awesome thing happened last week. We had somebody invited their coworkers to, to church. Had two different ladies who sat down with two different ladies, heard the gospel, and got saved last Sunday. Awesome. You take these two girls who really know nothing whatsoever about following Jesus. And they need discipleship. They need to be in church. They need to hear preaching. They need to be baptized. They need to be around solid Christians. All that for sure. But what if I said to these gals, hey, I know you don't know the first thing about being a Christian, but I want you to, 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 to go with her, go home with her. Watch what she does over the next seven days. Everything she does, copy her because this is how Christians live. You'd say, man, that sounds like a pretty heavy responsibility. Yeah, some guy just meets Jesus. Hey, follow this guy right here. Go home with him. Watch him for seven days, 24 hours a day. Whatever he does, just copy that because this is how Christians live. Hey, do we have any people who'd be willing to sign up for that? I think we'd all be like, oh. Give me a couple of weeks. I might be able to work something out. I got some things I got to work on. But here's the thing. You should be the example for others to follow. And you might say, oh, I've only been saved for like six months. Hey, we got people in our church been saved for six weeks. You can be an example for them of what newer Christians live like. Hey, I've only been saved for five years. Good, find somebody who's been saved for two years. Pour into their life. Be an example. And so it's not a matter of always finding an example to follow. Many times for you and I, it's going to end up being the example to follow. A healthy church should be full of those we talk about godly character and godly examples in the church. Godly character in the church flows from the leadership of the church. It goes from the top down. The head of the church is Christ. God has given two offices in the church, the office of the pastor, the office of the deacon. And those men in those offices are required to have the highest level of godly character in all of Scripture. And in the event that they violate that godly character, they are no longer qualified to fulfill the office of a pastor or of a deacon. Keep your finger here in, first, in Philippians 3. We're going to come back in a second. But flip over to 1 Timothy, if you would. Over to the right, a couple of books in your, uh, in your Bible. 1 Timothy chapter 3.
First Timothy chapter 3 contains the qualifications of a pastor and the deacons. You can also find a similar list that Paul gave to Titus in Titus chapter 1. Also, it's important to understand when reading the Bible, the terms bishop, elder, and pastor are always synonymous, meaning the exact same thing in the New Testament. So if you see bishop, elder, pastor, they all three mean exactly the same thing, the same office. For us, we use the term pastor. Uh, The term bishop has been hijacked by Catholicism, for sure. Bishop and archbishop and cardinals and stuff like that. So we don't use that term for, for the reasons of distinction. If you use it, it, it's a Bible word, it wouldn't be against you, but it just, I think, brings confusion. The term elder, I believe, has been hijacked by the Mormon church for sure, but depending on what church you go to, they might have elders instead of pastors and things like that. I think it's confusing when churches have pastors and also have elders, and they perform different functions and different roles because in the New Testament, those words are synonymous with each other. But I say for the sake of this here, 1 Timothy chapter 3, when it talks about the office of a bishop, it's talking about the office of the pastor. This is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. First Timothy chapter 3, verse number 1. Here's the qualifications of a pastor. A bishop then must be blameless. That means his character must not have any black marks on it. No accusations can be made against the pastor for uh, immoral, unethical behavior. Next, he must be the husband of one wife. Second qualification we find in Scripture says that the office of the pastor is for men only. Is that up for discussion? No. The Bible's not up for discussion. It is the Word of God. And you say, well, I listen to this female pastor on TV and she could preach your socks off. She could probably preach me under the table. That's fine. I don't have a problem with that. She's probably a better communicator than I am. Better public speaker. I got no problem with that. She might even know more of the Bible than I do. But she's not biblically qualified to hold the office of a pastor. Period. So are you saying every church that has a female pastor is in opposition to the Bible? Yes. You can't say that. Do you know the world that we live in today? I know the world that we live in today, but I also know what the Bible says. And the Bible has called us to be, to be with God's word as opposed to being with the world. Incredibly unpopular. I get it. It's 2021. Things are different these days. I get it. God's word stands true. Period. But it goes on. This can't be a guy who's been married more than once. He needs to be married. He needs to be married to his first wife, according to this verse here. He needs to be vigilant. He needs to be sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre or filthy money, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth his own house well, with having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest he being lifted up with pride fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without. That means he has to have a good testimony with people that are outside of the church that aren't even Christians. They need to be able to think well of this guy, the pastor lest he fall into reproach and a snare of the devil. Those are the qualifications of a pastor, verses 1 through 7. If at any point I, as your pastor, violate these qualifications, I am no longer qualified to pastor. I'm standing out on the sidewalk and some guy comes out and he's like, I hate this church, you're a jerk, you're a terrible human being, all this other stuff, and I just haul off and clock the dude, knock him out on the sidewalk. Guess what? One of the things that I have done, I've become a brawler. 
Now I've done something that is unkind against the spirit of Christ. I'm no longer blameless. I'm now a brawler. I'm now a striker. Guess what? Ladies and gentlemen, I hereby tender my resignation because I no longer fit the biblical qualifications of a pastor. I'm no longer allowed to be in the pulpit. It's not. Don't fit the qualifications. You know why? Because the standards for the pastor and the deacons are at such a high level because godly character in the church flows from leadership. That's why it grinds my gears. It's become very popular these days for pastors who get into adulterous relationships with their church members, who get kicked out of their church to then start other churches that they call Second Chance Church and Redemption Church and all this other stuff for people that are, quote, messed up or, quote, made mistakes or, quote, need a new start and all this other stuff. And you say, take some pastor who's run off with some other woman and has married another woman, now starts another church, and people are like, oh, don't people deserve second chances? People deserve a million chances, but you cannot pastor a church ever again. That's what God says. And so when people are like, well, who gives you the right to judge? I don't judge anything. God's word judges everything. Because we are called to a high level of Christian character. And it goes on, verse number eight. Likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of faith in pure conscience. Let also them be proved. Let the office of the deacon be found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderous, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their own children, their own house as well. They that have used the office of a deacon well purchase themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. We have two deacons in our church, Tim Miller and John Stoker two of the godliest men that I know in our church, two of the godliest men I've ever met in my life. They weren't chosen flippantly because they're good dudes or because they give X amount of dollars to the church or they've been friends with, with me for a long time or because they know somebody who knows somebody or they're influential or anything like that. They're chosen because they fit the biblical qualifications that they're godly men. And these are examples that you can follow. At what point you cannot follow your pastor's example because he's immoral, unethical, or unbiblical, he should be removed from the office of a pastor. And pastors that call themselves pastors who live these flashy lifestyles with expensive clothes and drive fancy cars and live in big houses and gated communities who thrive on money, they're greedy according to the Bible and they shouldn't be pastoring. Now again, I don't call out pastors of other churches. The Bible calls them out. But I say all that to say this. The qualifications of godly leadership in the church are ridiculously high because you should be able to follow their example. That's why it grieves me and it grieves the heart of God every time some pastor is immoral, unethical, steals money, is a pornography addict, involved in child pornography. There's a pastor several years ago who was, I knew his son, was a friend of mine. His dad was a pastor of a church. Started chatting with a, quote, 14-year-old girl on the internet. Come to find out it wasn't a 14-year-old girl. It was an FBI agent. They came knocked on his door at the church. What happened? Pulled the gun out and shot himself in the church office. Pastors are people. But at what point you don't meet the criteria, you're not an example anymore. You're not worthy of having an example to be followed. So we can flip back to Philippians chapter three, if you would. Brethren, 
Be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as you have an example. Have us for an example. So final thoughts on this and we're done. First of all, it's important that we don't idolize godly examples. As your pastor, I don't expect to be put on a pedestal because if you put me on a pedestal, it's only a matter of time before I'm going to fall off. I promise you that. I'm not perfect. I never will be until the day that I meet Jesus. If you stay at Hui Call long enough, I will say something to hurt your feelings. I'll say something to disappoint you. I'll do something that you don't agree with. I'll do something that would cause you to be frustrated, disappointed, or even hurt. I give you my word that's going to happen if you stick around long enough. But I also give you my word that if I find out that that's happened to you, please come to me because I want to know because I want to make it right. Every person that I know of that I've done something to, said something about, I've always sought to make it right. There have been people who have left our church, and anybody that leaves our church that will, will have a face-to-face conversation with me, I always ask them, is everything okay between you and I because I don't want there to be anything that I've done that would hurt you. And if I have, I want to make it right. But you can never place someone in an idolatrous position of Christ. I've seen churches that have such an unhealthy culture of pastor worship that, that when the pastor comes in, people are like, oh, there's the pastor. Oh, is that the pastor over there, you know? When the pastor walks off the platform, everybody claps for him and he goes to his green room where he sips bottled water that's cooled to room temperature and he sits and flips channels while everybody else is out doing the work of the ministry. It's funny to me, sometimes people are shocked that I like stand out on the sidewalk and talk with people after church. They're like, you're the pastor? It's like, yeah. That's what pastors do. They spend time with people. They encourage them to walk with Jesus. They get to know them. They pray with them. They pray for them. But so many times people have elevated the pastor. Now, is the pastor a position of honor? For sure. The Bible says those who labor in the word are worthy of double honor. For sure. I get it. It's a matter of respect of the office of the pastor. It's not an elevated position, though. And when it comes to the flow chart of the church, Jesus is at the top. And I'm just down here with the rest of the slaves. I have an office or a title, but I'm just another servant of Jesus Christ. And it's important to understand that when we idolize something, idols always fail, always. And generally, whatever we idolize will eventually demonize. And when you place somebody on such a high pedestal, it's only going to come a time where you become disappointed. Man, I remember... As a kid growing up, I, had, um, I was a Chicago Bulls fan uh, back when I was in high school. In the mid-90s, you were a Bulls fan, you were a Celtics fan, or you were a Lakers fan. That was it. There was only three teams. If you were something else, you were the uh, anomaly. But I was, I was a Bulls fan. We lived in Kentucky. We didn't have an NBA team, and so the closest thing we had was Chicago. I mean, I was a Bulls fan. I loved to watch Michael Jordan play. I loved watching the, the Last Dance uh, documentary back in the day of the Bulls and the, the three-peats and then the six championships. It was crazy. But for me, I never really was good at basketball. I didn't score a lot of points. I tried to work hard, but I, I just didn't have any natural ability. And so I really enjoyed watching Michael Jordan. He was incredible. But I loved watching Dennis Rodman because the dude was just hustle, all hustle. What he didn't have in talent, he made up for in hustle on the court. I, I loved watching him play. And I remember it was crazy in the 90s to see a guy with tattoos down his arm playing in the NBA. That was crazy. This guy comes out, he's got his hair dyed purple. It's just like, what is going on? This guy's crazy. So much fun to watch. And so I loved watching Dennis Rodman play. I loved it. Angela and I were in, uh, on the Big Island coming back. This was probably 
four or five years ago. And um, we're, we're flying back to Honolulu. We're at the, the uh, airport there in uh, Kona. I go to use the bathroom, and I feel like a guy walk up beside me that's just like towering over me. And like, when you're in the ba- for those of you ladies that don't know, there's like a bro code in the bathroom. You don't talk to anybody. You don't look. You get you keep your eyes straight on. You mind your own business, right? But like, as I look, like, I, like, is this guy really that big? I look, and I recognize a tattoo on the back of his neck, and I think to myself, I'm in the bathroom standing beside Dennis Rodman. Like, oh, my soul. And so, like, I, I step back after I'm done, and I'm washing my hands for a really long time, and I'm looking in the mirror, and I'm just like, that is Dennis Rodman. Oh, my soul. And so I walk out. I tell my wife, I say, Dennis Rodman's in the bathroom. The second that he comes out, I have my phone ready. I'm going to get my picture made of Dennis Rodman. Like, this is incredible. Oh, my soul. And so we're like waiting, waiting, waiting. And Dennis Rodman walks out, and he's walking like this. And, and dude, like, cannot stand up. He's, like, holding on to stuff, like, while he's standing there. And there's nobody around, like, helping him or anything. And the dude literally cannot stand up. And he just lays down on the pavement out there. And I was just like... So much for getting a photo with him. Like, what do you, you crouch down with him and give him a shaka while he's like <laughs> passed out on the pavement? I don't know. I wanted to, trust me, I wanted to. But he's just like, man, what a bummer. And I thought about that saying, you know, never meet your heroes. Man, I just wanted to tell him, like, dude, I grew up watching you and the Bulls back in the day. And, like, and like I, I wanted to be you. I wanted to hustle like you. And, and like, like, I had a poster in my room of him diving for a, a, a loose ball, and the dude was completely vertical with the, the floor. Like, I wanted to, dude, you were incredible. But the guy couldn't stand up. And I was just, like, so disappointed because I had idolized something that wasn't worthy of idolization. Dennis Rodman is a reprehensible human being that's in great need of Jesus Christ and his saving grace. He's nothing to be idolized for sure. But here's the thing. Your pastor's not a person to be idolized either. Are there redeeming qualities that I have? For sure. Christ at work in me. I'm with Paul. In me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. If there's anything good in my life to, to, to emulate, it's what Christ has done in me. But never idolize Christian leaders, godly examples, because it's only a matter of time before they fail. Next, unwillingness to look for godly examples is a mark of spiritual immaturity and pride. I've had people before say, well, I don't really need to follow anybody. I just follow Jesus. I don't need any godly examples in my life because people just let you down. I'm just going to follow the man upstairs. That sounds cute and spiritual. It just shows how immature you are. Because Paul himself says, I haven't made it yet. I'm still working on me. But I'm going to set an example for you to follow and I want you to find other people that you can follow too. Paul wasn't above finding examples to follow. You think you're above the Apostle Paul? You think this portion of Scripture that tells you to find people to follow doesn't apply to you? Again, it doesn't make you spiritual. It just shows how immature you are. And again, if you think that you've made it and you should be the example for everyone to follow, that's pride. Again, I'll tell you, I want you to follow my example because God's called you to follow the example that I, sh- that I give. I'm not perfect, though, and when I blow it, please don't follow my, my failures. But again, I want to walk in maturity. I want to be able to identify godly people that I, I can be like. And while we grow in Christ-likeness, we should seek to be the example for others to follow. This is one of the reasons why in our small groups on, on Wednesday nights and Tuesday nights we ask people to share praises and prayer requests. Hey, tell me something good that God's done in your life this week because I want to be encouraged by God at work in your life. 
Hey, tell me something good that's happened in your life because I want to rejoice with you at the good things that God's done in your life. I love to hear when people share about things they've gone through or things that God's brought them from. Again, I can't wait until uh, next Sunday night to hear people and their stories of how God has, has grown them in Christ's likeness through trials. But at some point, again, we have to become an example for other people to follow. Now, we never stop following the example of other people, but there comes a point where it's like, hey, come on this journey with me. Let's do this together. Hey, I don't know everything there is to know about the Bible, but I'll share with you what I know. I don't know everything about parenting, but here's some things that work for me. I don't know everything about what it means to be a committed follower of Christ, but here's what I do know. And let me share that with you. I want to bring other people on the journey with me. And finally, growing together with other Christians provides safety, accountability, and encouragement on the journey. Look, if you're rolling solo through the Christian life, nobody's looking out for you. You're totally on your own. And if you blow it, you mess up, there's nobody there to, to walk with you through your failures. There's nobody to call you out when you fall into sin if you're doing it solo, if you're doing it on your own, because you have no accountability structure in place. It's a very dangerous place to be. And so being a part of other Christians journeying us, doing this together, which is what the church is. There's not a single person in this room that's perfect. But the idea is that we're all trying to head the same direction and we can do it together. But here's the thing. If you're not willing to be a part of this journey, then, then you're going to get left behind. And you'll miss out on the blessings of accountability, strength from other people, encouragement along the way. You're going to miss out on that. And it's so incredibly important to do it with other people. I know last week was Father's Day, but I'll make a challenge to our fathers here today as well. Fathers, it's your job to set the example for your household. Mothers, it's your example to set the example for your household. Your kids, if you're a dad, should grow up and say, hey, I know what a man of God looks like because I saw it in my dad. He did the right thing. He had character. He exhibited the fruit of the Holy Spirit. He prayed with us. He made sure that we were in church. I know what a godly man looks like because I saw it in my dad. I know what a woman of God looks like because I saw it in my mom. She was always in the Word. She was always in prayer. She was always setting a good example. She was always encouraging my dad. She was always encouraging us to follow Jesus. She always prayed with us. Sometimes I'd wake up in the morning and uh, watch cartoons and my mom was already on the couch reading her Bible. That's the example that I'm talking about. Because here's the thing. I have a 12-year-old daughter. It's terrifying. And I, I pray to God one day when she's about 50 years old, she can find the right guy and get married when she's about 50. Um, but here's the thing. What will she look for in a guy? I want her to know what a man of God looks like. Here's the thing. As she goes into those crazy waters that are the teenage years, which are now so different than the teenage years that I grew up in, I want the first guy that sends her a text message that says, send nudes. She hits the block button on her phone and never speaks to the guy again because she's like, Men of God don't do stuff like that. I know what a man of God looks like. I live with one. I'm not putting up with this garbage in my life. But guess what? If dad's a guy that looks too much at the ladies at the mall, if dad's a guy who makes jokes about people that are dressed inappropriately, if she got out in the middle of the night one time and didn't find dad on the couch reading his Bible but found him looking at pornography, it just becomes part and parcel of the way the guys are. That's why I want to set an example 
That's why I want my home to be different. That's why I want my kids to have a shot because they know what it looks like when a man and a woman love Jesus and pursue him. I want you to have a shot because you have a church full of people who are not perfect, who will fail you, who will disappoint you, but will pursue Christ's likeness with you if you want to come along on the journey with us. Climb aboard. We'll do it. But here's the thing. You cannot begin your journey of Christ-likeness. You cannot begin to change unless you first know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you're here today and there's never been a time, a date, a place in your life where you put your faith and trust in Christ, do it today and jump on the journey with us because it's going to be awesome. I was telling the singles yesterday that there's never been a single solitary time in my life for my wife or I that we have ever regretted being obedient to God's word. Not once. Do I ever look back and go, ah, I wish I hadn't obeyed the Bible there. That was a bummer. It could have worked out better if I'd just done my own thing. Never. But every single time almost in my life that I look at how things went sideways, I can look back at where I blew it, took my eyes off Jesus, I went and did my own thing, I was wise in my own eyes, I didn't want anybody's input, I didn't want anybody's wisdom, I didn't want to look at anybody's example, I just wanted to do my own thing, and you blow it every time. And so there's safety and being a part of a church where you see godly examples of people that aren't perfect but are, are, are doing their best. And you might say, Pastor, I'm struggling to find those godly examples. Let me know. I will hook you up. Legit. Like, like you could have dinner with somebody this week who will encourage you in your Christian walk. I could set that up for you like that. I want to do that for you. We try to do that automatically as it is. You want to start discipleship? I'll get somebody to teach you what it means to be a committed follower. That's easy. You got questions about being a, a dad or being a, a mom that loves Jesus? Hey, easy. I got dozens of people I could hook you up with. Dozens. You want to be a guy that just does the right thing and walks with Jesus? Saturday morning at 8 a.m., we got a group of guys. Get together. You're struggling with sin. You don't know how to get past this sin that just got your number. But every time it rings, you got to pick up the phone. Good. We got a group that starts for you on August 3rd. Guys, you just want to maintain purity and walk with Jesus. We got you. You don't have to do it alone. You shouldn't do it alone. So make sure you got some good examples in your life. And most importantly, get the opportunity to be that example as well. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.